There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have David Rubin with me, who is the head of audience and brand at the New York Times. Hi, David, and welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being with me today. This is very exciting, and I can't wait to learn more about exactly what it is you do because it's such a fascinating job title. So let's start there. What is it that you do as head of audience and brand development? Well, I'm, I'm really responsible at the New York Times for helping grow the subscription business. So our team looks after all the ways we communicate what the Times is about and why you should pay for it. One of the things that's probably important to know is, you know, that the Times' core business now is we're a subscription business. We're journalism worth paying for. We sometimes think about it as a nonfiction Netflix, if you will, you know, a digital and print, but primarily digital offering that people pay a subscription for and get quality news that helps them understand the world. Okay. That, well, so that is a, a tough model because there are a lot of subscription models out there, but you said it's a subscription worth paying for. So can you talk a little bit more about how you define that? What, what is the value proposition? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, the, the thing about news is over the last couple decades, this is a, a product that, you know, historically people paid for a newspaper, right? Either they bought a subscription or they bought a, a single copy. Um, and then in the internet era, news and information became largely free for people. You could just go on any site and get it. Um, and what we're, you know, what, what the Times has been doing um, over, uh, you know, recent years is we've pivoted to being a subscription first business. We're certainly not subscription only, but our primary business is getting people to pay for the news. And to do that, they've got to realize that what they're paying for is better than what they can get for free um, with a large amount of free available. And so the marketing challenge comes up of how do you help people recognize that quality difference and, and get that, you know, you get what you pay for. Fortunately, that's been, you know, things are pivoting our way in the last couple of years with the preponderance of fake news, with just the, the news cycle moving as fast as it is. We know that a lot of people are 
find it difficult to know what to pay attention to and where to get information they can trust. And of course, that drives them to sources like The Times that are quality, original, independent reporting. You know, so fortunately, we're sort of sitting in the right place and have made the right investments to have, um, you know, a newsroom that can do unparalleled reporting and independent information. Okay, so your role is then communicating that value, but you have some interesting counterparts. So I'd love to talk a little bit about how you're structured there and who you work with to sort of represent the Times holistically. Can you talk about your counterparts? Yeah, sure. So the probably the, the nearest in circle is is at the Times, we look at marketing in sort of two functions. We have a my team, which we call audience and brand, uh, and is really responsible for the messaging and the long-term relationships. And then we have the consumer revenue team who are sort of the other half of marketing and they're responsible for short-term growth, all the activities we do, our media, they're responsible for all of those details that help us kind of be effective in the short run um, and make sure that everything we're doing not only delivers a long-term message, but helps people understand that they need to pay for the times. And what we do is sort of tell that longer term story. So that's kind of marketing um, and allows us to be both effective at immediate, but also thinking long-term and then conversely to be doing long-term without compromising the, you know, short-term results. Um, And so we find that it is easier to structure separately than it is to have individuals try to think about both at the same time. And that sort of healthy tension and collaboration that happens by having those different focus points and metrics creates for a better, higher quality product that also performs in the short run. Okay. So that's really fascinating. And before you went to the New York Times, you were also the head of brand at uh, Pinterest. And is this role very different from that role? Uh, Conceptually, probably not. But, uh, you know, a big difference with Pinterest is that it's a it's primarily an advertising model. So the user doesn't need to pay anything to use the product. And that obviously creates a big difference. Uh, You know, at the Times, most people in the U.S. know what the Times is. What they don't know is why they should pay for it now. And so we're less focused on helping people understand the basic of who we are, but much more about what makes us different. Um, And in Pinterest, while it's certainly not unheard of, the job was more about helping people understand, helping a broader group of people want to connect with and use the product. Another big difference, uh, which, you know, going to your question of all the groups we work with, at the Times, we have a very large content creation operation, meaning our newsroom. And it's a, you know, it's obviously a different business when you're making your own content than when you're a distribution platform. Um, And so here at the Times, the crux of our story is about those content creators, meaning our journalists, and what makes them and the work they do different from anywhere else. Okay. And then, you know, if I just even think back to before even Pinterest, you're right, Unilever. So now you've like totally different model altogether. Let's start kind of a little bit back at the beginning, though. Like, tell me about your career path and how you got to the New York Times and some, some of the decisions that you made along the way and why you're there. Wow. Trip down memory lane. Um, Yes. (laughs) So yeah, well, when I came out of undergrad, I actually went into politics. Um, I spent two years for a congressman from the south side of Milwaukee. And then I spent uh, two years working uh, in the economic policy department of the uh, Clinton Treasury. Um, After that, I went to business school, kind of made a pivot and um, came out of there working for Unilever. Um, I spent a very short stint on Dove Soap. 
and um, transferred to the Chicago office uh, following my girlfriend, who is now my wife. Um, but uh, that's a good decision then. Yeah, it was, and I, you know, I know sometimes that story doesn't play out the way you think it will, but in my case, it did. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I went to Chicago uh, and got put on a small project that eventually became the launch of Axe into the U.S. The the body spray. And so I did that for, you know, and wrote uh, what was just an incredible experience of creating a new category and really turning a category around for six, eight years. Uh, and then I switched from there into hair care. Um, so a beauty business for Unilever and turned around that business um, going from uh, less than half the size of their nearest competitor to the largest hair care division in the United States. Um, and then I left there uh, in 2014 and went to Pinterest. And um, so I'd been at Unilever about 17 years at that point. And, you know, all in personal care. And I thought I'd really learned a lot about basic branding and strategy and general management through a consumer lens, connecting deeply with consumers. I'd say the thing I really discovered about myself at Unilever was that what I really like to do is turn the mundane into the magical. Those were the words that, uh, that I kind of used for myself at the time. You, know, you can see where we took a deodorant you know, a category that people tend not to want to think about and turned it into a product that people would put on their counter and show to each other and talk about and Saturday Night Live would make fun of. And, um, you know, prior to the launch of Axe, no one was, you know, I don't think Saturday Night Live was talking about deodorant very much. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I went into uh, hair care where certainly it's, it's, it's a more involvement category, but everything had become the same. You know, everyone was showing the same images and it was all just sort of what could I, what was I going to grab today? And I think the reason we were able to turn our business around was we really focused on kind of a authentic differentiated story that connected with people more deeply, um, really understood what the, what the user wanted and how we could help her um, really meet her beauty needs in a way that wasn't overclaim was believable, but still aspirational. And so that really connected with people and, and that business turned around. Um, and so I, I went to Pinterest because I thought there was a similar opportunity, um, not that it was, you know, it was certainly a, a well thought of brand, but it had a pretty defined audience and they wanted to have a much larger audience. And so helping them change their perception so that they could be seen as relevant to a lot of people on an everyday basis, a much more diverse group of people was what my job was. Functionally, I thought it was the right move to make because, you know, I'm a believer that people are looking for people who can both do strategy and deliver it with business results and going to a direct to consumer high growth startup business uh, after, after having been at a Unilever, you know, that's to deliver through a retail environment um, and is obviously a longstanding legacy business um, felt like a nice change and really going to a digital company. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years and I learned a lot and uh, it was, it was a great opportunity and I'm a big believer in Pinterest and they, they seem to be doing very well. Practically speaking, I was living in New Jersey and commuting to California, um, and that was just not a long-term sustainable option, <laughs> uh, even though I knew that was, that was the deal. Um, and uh, after flying out there most weeks um, for well over a year, I'd been at the company about two years, I made the shift to here, being in New York, but also being something that seemed like a great opportunity. And, you know, it was interesting. Uh, I, will, I will say this. Um, I've said it before, so I'll, I'll say it, and my, my boss knows it. If you would ask me when I was thinking about leaving Pinterest, if I was going to go to the New York Times, it wasn't what I was thinking about. Um, the reason, I mean, I thought really highly of 
of the journalism that they did here, but I didn't think of it as a marketing company. And, and what I came to realize when I started to look under the hood is that this is a, this is a, you know, it's become a consumer driven business and it's a, um, a digital direct to consumer business that it, you know, it's journalism and it has a really high mission and it's um, uh, really important in the world. But on the business side, it's a, it's a digital subscription business. And that was the kind of thing I wanted to work on. And I thought was uh, exciting and interesting to do. And so I thought it leveraged well the brand strategy that I had from Unilever, that interest in taking categories and making them connect more deeply with people and making people make conscious choices about what they wanted to use, combined with some of the things I learned at Pinterest about digital marketing and product marketing and high growth environments. And so I I came to realize that this was actually the perfect choice. You know, I've had a lot of Unilever alumni on the show now, and um, I think a common theme that comes up all the time from the experience at Unilever is that you really develop a strong financial acumen as a marketer. Would you say that's true? And has that helped you in your role? Yeah, more than financial, I'd say it's about, you know, looking for the performance, looking for what's the impact of what we're doing. But what I think Unilever does really well, or at least taught me to do really well, was the art and science combined. Is you can't, you know, financial and responsible marketing is really important, but there's also a secret sauce and emotional connection, which is what the business is ultimately about. And you have to be able to do both. And I think that that's really what defines my career is being able to create a strong emotional connection that then translates to a deep functional relationship. And that's, I think that requires sort of a classic underpinning of a brand strategy and a strategic, you know, and a deep consumer, consumer insights ability with also digital and digital marketing, media understanding, et cetera. And so having both. Great. And you, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, you remind me a bit of uh, Meg Goldthwaite, who is the CMO of NPR. I just uh, released her podcast recently. Yeah, I loved it, by the way. Oh, well, thank you very much. And you, and so, you know, it was about her telling the story of storytellers. And I'm thinking as you're talking about emotional connection and, and going back to what you said earlier about your role in really communicating the value proposition because of the strength of your journalist, well, they're storytellers. And so are, are you telling their stories through your marketing plan? Yeah, it's probably the biggest change we've made in the last couple of years is, you know, historically what the the Times and other uh, news publications have done is we did amazing journalism, we let you read it, and then we asked you for money. And so the, the crux of our marketing was the offer. What's the business relationship that we want to have with you as a consumer? And what we've shifted to is marketing the journalism, while we of course still need to tell the business relationship it's not the first thing we need to tell. We need to first tell the story of what is it you're getting and why should you get it? You know, this is very much a, in, in a classic consumer product kind of language. It's a category development opportunity. Very few people pay for the news directly. And our job here is to grow that number. I mean, we're proud of the fact that we have the largest consumer subscription model in the world, but it's still certainly not in the you know, like a Spotify or a Netflix, you know, approaching 100 million subscribers. And so, but the question would be, why isn't it? You know, we've got 120 million plus people reading us every month. That's a much larger number than people think. Um, But we have, uh, you know, 3.7 million subscribers. And so 
how do we get that number much larger for the people who are directly paying for it? Wow. Okay. So those are really interesting uh, numbers. And I'm going to have to check back with you in six months to a year from now and see how that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do a follow-up. How about that? <laughs> we have our earnings announcement tomorrow. So. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Excellent. Um, well, and you're having this call with me the day before. Okay. You're a brave man. So thank you for that. Okay. So very, very cool. So, you know, as you, you thought about your career path and you talked about you know, some of the different responsibilities that you had along the way and your, your risks and taking new roles or what you wanted to learn. What were some of the lessons you learned though, along the way of things like, Hmm, wow, that's going to stick with me for a long time. Yeah. I think, well, the, the main one we touched on already, which is this ultimately marketing is about creating demand from people. It's about helping to define that product market fit um, and helping shape it as people see it. Ultimately, I think people connect with brands and, and stay with them for emotional reasons. Now, every category is different how emotional it is and it isn't, but there's an emotional underpinning in everything from bleach to digital products to the, to the news. And I think you have to fundamentally get to those human truths and make that emotional connection. You can't forget the functional side, but you're asking people to pay for something and they got to know what it is they're paying for. But ultimately, it's about some kind of underlying brand positioning. And I think that as with the industry has morphed and our tools have gotten so much more um, robust and sophisticated, I think we sometimes forget that the underlyings of the, the basic industry of needing to define what is this thing, what are its values, and why should I on a human level connect with it? couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, well, maybe more like three or four now, but a CMO said to me at one point, they said, Nadine, I spend all my time right now making sure the copy goes out. I don't even have enough time left over to check the copy. And I thought, oh my God, right? And that's the world we live in with all these choices and tools and data. So I'd love to just hear how you are able to get your arms around all that because it's, it's a lot for people who are leading brands to really get their arms around. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And it's particularly, you know, one of the things about the times is that we're a, we're a premium business and we're a content business. And so people expect us to have a level of, um, of detail and rigor in, uh, in the way we tell that story. And so, you know, we make a tiny little mistake and the whole world is kind enough to let us know uh, <laughs> all the time. Uh, and that's just as true on the marketing as it is on the journalism. Uh, and so that pressure can make you not want to innovate and move quickly, but it's just not, you know, you just can't, you have to. Um, and so it's, you know, I try not to spend a lot of time thinking about things that are what they are. And so we have to do that quality. We have to have that level of insight and we have to move fast and have lots of iterations and we just figure out how to do both. Um, and try not to be precious on the day to day, but also not to be complacent when we're doing something we know we can do better. So it's, it's, it's really not about waiting till it's perfect but it's about continuing to make it better once it goes out the door. And it's actually one of the things I learned a lot being at a Pinterest, you know, which is obviously such a new company and is an engineering product driven company. The times is too, but uh, is this sort of, you know, the, the move fast and don't be afraid to break stuff. I love that motto. That's, that's kind of like what CMO moves is all about. <laughs> so let's talk about some rules that you broke along the way. What, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, or just even one thing where you like, you know what, this just doesn't work. I'm going to do it different. 
Um, I think, it, you know, first of all, it's, it's sort of hard to answer that over a whole career since obviously the rules change all the time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I was, somebody the other day was asking me to tell, quote unquote, the Axe launch story. And a lot of the things I was so proud of sound very normal today and don't sound very innovative, even though at the time they were, you know, making what we used to call viral videos. It sounds all very quaint or we were the first Unilever brand in the U.S. to do a to not have any broadcast in their TV plan. One year we did a plan without TV. Those are all things that probably don't sound so innovative to you now, but were relatively um, uh, risky at the time. But, so the thing that I try to do more than anything is I'm a believer in looking outside your category for models. Because I feel like once you look inside your category, you're going to look like everyone else. And so we, you know, at, at Axe, we tended to look at... Um, at entertainment. We actually modeled a lot of the launch after uh, the Blair Witch Project, which again, most people may or may not remember, but was a really innovative movie at the time. And we looked at how they did their, their marketing. You remember they sort of made the whole thing feel real at the time. Oh yeah. Um, that was a very spooky movie. I, I get the chills when you say that the whole totally. movie. And, and for anybody who was uh, following at the time, it's, it really struck a chord. And so we, we, we took a lot of lessons from how they did things. Um, uh, when we did the launch. Uh, when you come forward to uh, um, to here, we we look at a lot of places. I don't think we have a single place, but we do spend a lot of time thinking about a, a Netflix and how they're doing their work or a Spotify and how have these places been able to, you know, create a usage that didn't exist um, and do it in a way that was pretty fast and with a lot of technical success, but ultimately a, a deep emotional connection that they've been able to build. HBO as well as another place we look at. Okay. So that's really fascinating. And, you know, whenever you say Spotify, of course, I get a, a warm and fuzzy for Seth Farben because I, he was my very first podcast episode and uh, he's the CMO of Spotify. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he, we he, learned a lot from Seth. He's an amazing role model. And, um, you know, kind of like you, you when well, he went from Gap to Spotify. So, you know, it, you know, he's had the the pleasure of seeing lots of different ways to market in different industries and, and, but authenticity is key and, and really connecting at the, the human level. So I concur 100%. I am on that bandwagon. I totally believe in that. So let's talk about, we are actually, I can't even believe how fast this has gone. We are coming close to the end of this podcast, but I have so many other questions for you. So, so let's do this. I'm going to just pause for a second because you had some really good tips for folks out there on things that they could be thinking about as they're building their own career or moves that they should be making. So let me turn to you and you could just fire away some things that you think people should consider when they're making career decisions. Yeah. I mean, I think the, probably the thing I, I believe the most is that sort of one of the beauties of a career is letting it unfold. So I'm, I'm not a giant believer in sort of scripting out your next seven moves, but I think what is important is to have a sense of what you like to do and what you think you're good at. And to be thinking about your career as crafting your own story of, you know, in my case, I think I'm able to tell a story of where I, I went into consumer products. I learned about innovating and pushing companies to, rethink their model and to connect deeply with consumers. I then turned to a digital business and there got to explore and learn more about, you know, high growth environments and engineering led environments. And then I've come to the times, which is a bit in, of a bit of both and a place that's really a content led operation with really amazing journalism and journalists who need their story told. And so I think I'm able to craft a story out of that 
if you'd asked me from the beginning, if I thought I'd be here from back when I started, I, the answer would not be this. And so I think that let it unfold, I guess, but also think about how it fits a, a, some kind of consistent narrative over time. That is really good advice and branching out and, and discovering new ways to apply your marketing chops is very, very good advice. Like if you'd asked me 20 years ago, um, a little more when I was starting at Unilever, I wouldn't have predicted the world we sit in. Um, and so if you're better at that than I am, that's great. But otherwise it's about, you know, sort of adapting and adopting as you go and, and as the world changes around you and being ready to make and make those changes and to pivot your thinking when it's time to. Absolutely. And so that actually leads to the next question. And I have one last question for you after this one. But when you talk about doing things differently and taking risks and embrace a new world, you and I were chatting earlier about this new campaign you've got coming up for the daily. Can you talk a little bit about that and why it's going to be groundbreaking? We've been communicating more proactively about our journalism. Um, we've done The Truth is Hard and The Truth Has a Voice, um, which hopefully a lot of the listeners have seen. So The Daily is one of our podcasts, but it's our very highly successful daily podcast hosted by Michael Barbaro. It's been a breakout over the last year and a half. Now has over a million downloads per day. And we're looking to in- make sure that it gets introduced to an even wider audience. And so we pick three markets, Chicago, LA, and Portland, and we're communicating the line, this moment deserves a deep look. And in those three cities, what makes the daily special and why people should check it out. And so uh, hopefully we're growing in all three markets even faster than we were. Um, and it just unveiled uh, probably about a, two weeks ago. Excellent. Well, yeah, again, another thing to check in with you on. And this time I, I don't have to wait so long, probably in a yeah. few weeks. Huh? Yeah, a few, a few more weeks. And you know, to our knowledge, it's the largest uh, campaign around a podcast. Um, obviously, I think that market is just changing so quickly. And I'm sure more and more people will be promoting more and more podcasts. But uh, we, we're lucky enough to have a real breakout hit. And so we were able to get behind it uh, on the early end. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, David, I, I could think of another podcast that you might want to promote. <laughs> no, no problem. Just let us know. Uh, okay. Especially since you're on it. <laughs> uh, anyways. Okay. So this has been so fun. And I have one last question for you. If you could do anything in the world at all today, money were no object, what would you be doing? Um, I've always wanted to, to be a chef. Whoa, my God. So just like Seth Farben, you guys are like brothers. Wow. you guys, That's cool. Yeah. You know, I just, I love the, the creation aspect of it, but also the, the detailed aspect of it. I like that it's a team thing, but to some degree, but it's also, you know, very ownable for an individual. And I like that sort of collaboration, but also driven in a detailed way. And so I, um, plus at the end of it, people leave happy if you do it well. Uh, and it brings people together. Uh, food, that is. Uh, and so I, I like that. That's what's always gotten me. Uh, I always, I love cooking on the weekends. Haven't had the guts to go uh, start a restaurant. Um, and I'm not sure I'd love the lifestyle, but uh, just, you know, I love cooking. Oh, I, I do too. I share the same love. And so uh, I have to just ask this one kind of follow-up question. I, I need to know what is the name of your favorite dish that you make? Oh, so many. Well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not doing a lot of the cooking, but the, but I'm from Baltimore. So this weekend, I've got a couple of my buddies from um, 
actually from pre-K days coming over and we're having a Chesapeake Bay crab feast. Um, that's what's on my mind at the moment. Okay, well that sounds very delish. So very cool. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Nadine, thank you so much and uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. Talk soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 